1: Okay, okay, okay. So here's this thing that I wanted to talk about. And it's this thing about parenting. And you know, if you don't have any children, you might be thinking, well, I'll just tune in next week, Mr. Scottish man. This actually applies to you too. And it applies to you because you have parents. Whether they're in your life or not, it doesn't matter. I want to create a context with you so that you're actually empowered by this idea of parents and parenting. Now I'll start with a parenting thing first, right? So if you have children, this is something you need to get keyed into super, super quick. And if you don't have children, you know, this is something you'll want to keep in mind for yourself because at some point in your life, you might want to have children or it might currently be part of your plan. But I'll tell you, there's two things about parenting that I feel as if we all make big mistakes with. One is that when we have children, we have this Game in mind, right? And the game that we have in mind is either to do not what your parents did or to somehow replicate what your parents did because, you know, you might have had an idyllic childhood and that you're trying to replicate that with your own children. Both of them are doomed to various forms of failure. And I'm going to explain why. So the first one, not doing what my parents did. Now, that's going to be a problem. Why? Because that's kind of the track that all children will take on. So either they're going to do the same as their parents or not what their parents did. And so if you feel as if, you know, your parents should have done a better job with this or a better job with that, and you double down on that, okay, for your children, you're not there for what they need. What you're trying to do is overcome something that you felt as if you needed. So you're basically using a broken template to do something that's not broken. So it's a mistake. That's number one. You should always be looking to parent your children in a way that's good for them and good for you as a family unit. And sometimes that means, by the way, coming up with things and coming up with ideas and coming up with strategies that work for everyone involved. This isn't the 1950s, the 60s, or the 70s, or the 80s, or the 90s, or whatever time you were in your childhood. This is a different era, okay? It's a different time. You need to be available for this time. But the other one that really strikes me is this kind of notion of, well, my parents did some good things. I just want to replicate that. What you've got to really keep your eye on is that you're introducing something called an ideal or a standard. And so your big problem is when things don't match up. And especially if your kid doesn't match up or your partner doesn't match up to how you think this should go. The other interesting part of this though is I'm amazed at times, not all the time, but I'm amazed at times with the inauthenticity of many parents, the pretense that you've somehow got your shit together and the illusion, by the way, that you think your children are buying into that children are probably the best out of all beings at identifying inauthenticity. You'll hear it, like they'll just say it, right? And you're like, oh my God, that's so true, cuts through all the shit and it's unabashed. So children have like just a brilliant kind of sense of inauthenticity when it's there. So what does that mean for you if you're a parent? Well, it means that they don't buy your bullshit. And so a number of years ago, I took on the idea that I was going to stop pretending to my children that I knew what the fuck I was doing. And it was so refreshing. I remember having these conversations with my kids like, I'm making this up. (laughs) I'm literally making up what it is to be a father. And I explain this to my children you know, regularly. I say, look, I'm learning this as we go along. I'm 53 and I'm learning how to be a father as we go along. And um, I don't always get it right. Invariably, they'll nod their freaking heads in the way that children will do, right? Like, yeah, we know you don't know what you're doing. But at the same time, I do say to them, I'm working this out as we go along and we're going to fucking do what I'm saying. It's not to be forceful or too patriarchal or overwhelming. It is literally like we got to be guided by something. And so I'm taking on that role. I'm guiding us. And I make mistakes and it's okay. And one of the great benefits of that, you guys, is that I'm showing my children what it is to be authentic. Like to tell the truth about yourself. So parenting begins with authenticity. And if you can't get yourself to express your authentic self, if you're burned out or it's too much, It's okay to tell one on yourself with your own children and with your spouse, but you should never, ever, 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 ever make it their problem. Which brings me to this other piece about parents in general. So everybody listening to this has a parent or parents. They might be alive. They might not be alive. You may be connected with them intimately in a way, you know, like no one could ever really know another human being, like you might be so close to your parents and, you know, every detail of the life. You might not know your parents at all. You might have no idea who they are. But I wanted to share with you something that I got for myself a long time ago that shifted my entire perspective. And it was when I realized that I had no idea what it was like for them to be there. Like I had no idea what it was like for my father, for instance, to live through his childhood and the impact that that had on him. I always had the the illusion that, you know, you know he's the voice of God. And then I realized, like, you know, when I was in my 40s, I realized, like, it must have been really tough for both of my parents growing up. I mean, my father was a child of the 30s. And he was faced with a second world war at the age of nine. And like many kids in Scotland, he was what you call evacuated, which means all the children were scooped up and taken away from their parents. So as a nine or 10 year old kid, like that must have had some really deep and profound impact on him. He never really shared like any negativity about it, but it clearly must have had an impact. So when I was in my 40s, I started to get, wow, that must have been really challenging for that kid. It was the same with my mom. I started to realize, wow, like I've spent so long observing my parents that I'd spent almost no time putting myself in their shoes. Like, what was it like for my mom to be 30? What was it like for my mom to look at her future when she saw she had four children and to look at what was coming? Was she inspired by that? Was she empowered by that? That's when I really started to get like a tremendous amount of compassion from my parents because I could see their humanity. Like me, they have made their mistakes. But that perspective really allowed me to let go of that propensity to blame them. That kind of deep-seated human desire to hold somebody else to account for how I am. And you guys, that was the beginnings for me of like loosening the grip of the past. When I let go of the desire to punish, blaming somebody for their humanity really wasn't a very humane thing to do. And by the way, I could bump my gums here for the next 30 minutes about stories from my childhood. To serve what purpose? To validate something? To kind of dwell in something? That was really the beginnings of me finally understanding what it took to forgive and I'll get into forgiveness, by the way, in future episodes, you'll see. But the best place to practice your forgiveness is definitely with your parents. And it's forgiving them for anything they might have said or done or not said or not done. Because that process will go a long way in your personal growth game. And often you don't realize how much you're hanging on to shift from back then. So whether you're a parent, or whether you're focusing on this conversation from the perspective of the parents that you have, I I invite you to really realize that it's tough being a fucking human being. And it's tough to come through a childhood without hanging on to something. And it would be a little silly of you to think you're the only one that came through your childhood with shit. Your parents did it. Your grandparents did it. Your great-grandparents did it. Your great-great-grandparents did it. And unfortunately, it gets handed on generation to generation, whatever those incompletions are, whatever some of that bullshit is. You have no excuse to continue that cycle. A tremendous amount of knowledge is available to us now, like an unprecedented amount of knowledge is available to us. It's incumbent upon you now as a responsible human being to ensure that what gets handed on in society, in your family, in your extended family, in your community, that you're not part of what gets handed on, that you actually actively break that cycle. And how you break that cycle is by no longer using the past as some measurement of what to do or what not to do when it comes to being a parent or treating your parents. You see that To live a truly transformed life, one must take a transformed view. So you can't get sucked in by the same old bullshit that everybody else does. I wrote Wise as Fuck to present you with another view of something, a different way of looking at love or loss or failure. Like I wanted you to see life in a different way and engage with it from there. And then when you engage with life from a different perspective, you see different things, you see different pathways, you see different outcomes. It shifts the context. And ultimately, that's our superpower, right? Your superpower is to shift the context, to change the perspective, to come at life from a different angle and produce a whole new set of results from that place. All right, we're about to go on our first. Break. Before we do that, I want to make sure that you contribute to future episodes of Unfuck Nation. Drop me an email, connect at Gary John Bishop. You can call me at our wonderful Unfuck Nation hotline. It's 646 3203 646 4503203. Hold your fire, and we're going to come back with questions from the nation and get into transforming lives. See you in a bit.
0: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health
1: Okay. Welcome back. This is a part of the show where we bring in our producer, Stephen Miller. Stephen's got our questions from the nation this week. Stephen, how you doing? Welcome back. And what's the nation been asking us this week?
0: I've got to tell you, Gary, lots of great questions keep coming in from the nation. Today, I've got four for you, and I can't wait to hear how you're going to deal with all these daddy issues.
1: All right, let's get to it.
0: Awesome. Well, our first question comes from Lori. I have a 14-year-old daughter that I've watched slowly take on my terrible habits, namely self-deprecation as a defense against other people's insults and judgments. For example, when she failed a quiz in physical science, I asked her about it, and her immediate reaction was, yep, I'm stupid and a failure. Obviously, I explained to her that I don't believe that, but I simply want her to work with me to determine what we need to do to study differently so she can pass the next quiz. The result? She fell apart into tears so while I'm working on myself, I desperately want to help prevent her from finding herself a total mess when she's my age. Bear in mind, she's extremely sensitive, overly protective of her friends and family, and is horrified by the F-bomb. What can I do to guide her on the path toward unfucking herself?
1: All right, that's a very good question. I mean, she gets to dominate with her emotional state, and so you can already tell how much she dominates because you're also super sensitive to her super sensitivity. And you'll notice that you're trying to do something about it. I wouldn't do anything with that. That's just where she goes. I would let her have her moment. I'm stupid and I'm da-da-da. And I say, okay, all right, I get all that. All right, now what are we going to do about it though? There's an underlying communication with what she's saying to you, just given the kind of degree of the outburst. And what she's actually saying to you is leave me alone. Whether we realize it or not, we use our emotional outburst to control the situation, either the discomfort of one or the perceived domination of one. I'm going to now have my outburst, and then I'll get to say how this rolls out. And so you're all just caught up in that shit, with the confusion of that, with the kind of complexity of that. You're trying to do something about emotional state rather than acknowledging her emotional state and saying, yeah, I get all that. That's clear. You have made yourself very clear. Now, what are we doing? I think that's one of the mistakes that we all make at times with our children is this kind of vain attempt to fix them. It's not about fixing. A lot of times, it's a simple redirection. I've lost count the amount of times, you know, I've seen all of my sons in some resigned state or some upset state or some, you know, and I just say, okay, are you done yet? And they'll say, no. And i will like, okay, well, I'll be back when you are. And then I just let it pass through. I don't always feel the need to change where they're at. That's up to them. What I won't do though, is back off, you know, holding them accountable for who they are. My son just the other day said, it was about a Spanish quiz that he took, and in my view, got a grade that's below what's acceptable, but also what his potential is. And he said, well, I don't do Spanish. And I said, not acceptable. Well, Spanish isn't really my thing. I said, I don't care. You're going to make it your thing this week. <laughs> and so, so I said, what do we need to do? And, you know, look, school work's kind of funny at times, right? Because if you think of the term... Performance, right? That's your ability to perform, your ability to produce something. Everybody thinks it's something to do your mental state. It's not. It's repeated action. I mean, I noticed with my three sons, they all learn differently. As a parent, a big part of my job is working out how they learn, you know, from whatever means necessary, and then supporting them and sticking to that and staying true to that. But the minute you start getting in a dance with their emotional state, you're never going to win that one. So it's about acknowledging that and getting straight to the next bet, which is now what? What else have we got, Steven?
0: So our next question comes in from Bart, who says, my kid is 10 years old and isn't doing her homework. We're always encouraging her to do her best and care about the work because it's a big deal for her future. But is the way we handle this fucked up? How would you handle this as a parent?
1: That's a great question. Any parent worth their salt would tell you at some point the punishments just don't work. And I've found, especially with my older son, what really works are a series of negotiations. I'll say, well, this is a situation we find ourselves in. And then I put it to him. I'll say, well, how do you plan on resolving this? And we don't move from the conversation until I'm satisfied that he's come up with a plan. So he'll say this, 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 or this. And I'll say, nope, I ain't going to do it. What else you got? Why do I do such a thing? Because it encourages him to see the solution. I know the solution. I know what he should do, but that's all how I would do it. What I'm really interested in is how would you do it? Like not doing your homework. Okay, well, that's not going to work. How are you going to resolve it? And I'm open to giving him suggestions, but how are you going to resolve it? But there's a big part of this, I think, all parents need to realize. Children don't really operate with any real sense of integrity. They don't do what they said they were going to do, and it's a very, very weak muscle for a little one. Anything up to the age of freaking—I'm not kidding—forty. Right? People have a really crappy muscle for doing what they said they were going to do. I definitely see this with my children. Like, there's many occasions I realize that I have to manage the integrity of this thing, and that's definitely when it's least convenient for me. I have to do that. So sometimes, to my son, I'll say, "Okay." Every day at four o'clock, you're going to do X, Y, or Z. But the reality is, I can't be bothered with that. I want you to handle that. But I can't. Because the way they relate to that is that it's malleable. Like they maybe will do it. Maybe they won't do it. So I realized that I have to be the integrity of this thing. So I'll sometimes put it in my phone. And it'll be in there in my calendar. And at four o'clock, it'll be a reminder for one of my boys to do this thing or that thing. I'll get up from what I'm doing, I'll stop, we'll say, get your stuff out, get it done. You got 30 minutes. And I will literally check in with them every 10 minutes to make sure that it's getting completed. You don't just get to opt out because you're not feeling it. The other little caveat, by the way, I would add to this with you is that there's some underlying issue, something they're kind of hung up on about themselves that they maybe don't learn the way the other kids learn or they're not as smart seemingly as other kids. Often that's playing a role too. But in the short term, you're going to have to be the integrity of this thing. And you have to show that your integrity is completely unmassable with, like it can't be screwed with until such times as he can carry that thing on his own. All right, Stephen, what else we got?
0: Well, Gary, are you ready to up the ante?
1: Bring it. Let's see what we got.
0: So this one comes to us from Joel. Five years ago, I went through a divorce, and my son, who's now 18, won't have much to do with me. When he was younger, as my only child, he and I were very close because his dad didn't want much to do with either of us. That said, when we divorced, I thought I was doing a good thing by getting out of a bad relationship, but my son had a really difficult time dealing with the separation. Then, about four years ago, my son decided he wanted to live with his dad, and when that happened, I only saw him on rare occasions, and things went downhill. So here's my deal. I struggled daily with guilt over what I put my son through because I wanted out of a bad relationship. I was hoping to give my son another outlook on relationships and provide him with a more positive outlook on life. But instead, I gave him the complete opposite. I feel like I threw divorce into an already volatile teenager's life, stripped away his happiness, and caused many of his hardships since. Now, I don't know how to connect with him. I don't know how to make it right or if it's even possible to do so. I know you said to describe it as a challenge, but it feels more and more like a struggle every single day. I'd really appreciate your candor. Do you see a path forward from here?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It's nowhere near as complex as it is in your head, though. So whenever there's a divorce, it's very common for the kid to blame one parent over another. So one parent ends up carrying more of the burden of blame right? Not the burden of responsibility, which is another conversation, but the burden of blame. So it sounds pretty obvious to me that you got the blame. And that's an important distinction for all parents to make. Your children, like you, are constantly coming to their own conclusions. And they're not always obvious. They won't tell you it. You'll just see it in their actions. You can actually tell from those actions what they've already determined in their own mind. So it's pretty obvious to me, you got the blame here, okay? Which is fine. Somebody's got to get the blame. You said, you know, give me the candor. The divorce was way more about you than him, right? And you have to come to terms with that. That's the first thing, like, tell yourself the freaking truth. You weren't getting the life you wanted. And in that process of splitting up, You know, you talk to yourself about your son and how this could be good for him too. But if you tell yourself the truth, you'll see there was a bunch of shit you were stepping over at the time because the overwhelming evidence in your head was telling you this would be better for you. Also, I want you to get, that's okay too. It's fine that you get divorced and it's more about you than anybody else. It's only ever bullshit when you pretend to yourself that that wasn't the case. So the truth of it is you got divorced because it wasn't working for you. Often with children, they think parents should be able to work things out, right? That you should be able to work stuff out. Clearly, you didn't think you could. You didn't feel as if this was something you could work through. And so you took yourself out of that situation. Again. Don't blame yourself. You know, there's nothing to be guilty or to be ashamed about. You live by your decisions. This is it. This was what you wanted to do. So you did it. But like everything in life, what you did has had an impact. Now, let me be clear. That doesn't mean to say you're to blame for every bad choice and every bad decision he's ever made in his life. You're not. At some point in his life, he'll have to start taking ownership of his own choices. Maybe he's not there yet but he'll get there. So I think what you got to do is have an authentic communication with him. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to give you an example. It might mean you write him a letter. It might mean you send him an email. It might mean you call him. But in that letter or email, you take responsibility. You say, look, I made some choices that weren't in your best interest, and I can see that now. And I apologize for them. And I take full responsibility for my actions. And the impact that those actions have had. And you would ask him if there's anything he wants to say about that. If anything at all, it would be mostly like, yeah, you're the blank. And you say, yeah, that's right. Thank you. It's not your job to get him unhooked. The only job you can do at this point is to have zero resistance to that. The more you resist how he is, the more fucked up this gets. It's about getting where he's at. I got it. Yeah, it makes sense to me, given you were a teenager, given that happened. Yeah, this makes sense to me. I get it. I love you. I'm here for you. I want to connect with you. And if you don't want to at this point, I get it. But I want you to know that door is always available. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. You see, in your split, you pretty much blame the father. But you got to realize every time you blame the father, You're imposing your view of the father on your son. He's not interested in that view. He's got his own view of his dad. You have to respect that view. You have to respect that your son sees his father in a way that's distinct from the way you saw your husband at the time. They're not the same human being to each of you. This is one of these situations where you have to actually see somebody else's view. It's common, very, very common for a child to be crazily and madly connected to a parent who the other parent can't stand. And that's where a lot of the discourse comes. You have to tell your son you're no longer willing to throw your ex under the bus for how that relationship went, which I know you might be outraged like, oh my God, you Scottish asshole telling me to do that. So what? You've really got to start to come to terms with not everybody sees life the way you see it. Not everybody sees others the way you see them. And this is a prime example. Your son sees his father in a way that you don't. So you might communicate with your son and say, you know, I'm going to stop throwing your dad under the bus. It's not fair to you. He's your dad and you love him. And that's all that matters to me is that you have those kind of connections in your life. Because believe me, he needs those connections in his life. And you got to let go of that divisiveness. The final little piece I want to give you, the guilt, the shame, that's fucking all about you. Cut it out. If you're truly making this about him, then make it about him. Don't make it about you. You've got your next phase of life and what you want to have in it. There's some stuff that you're going to have to handle in the short term. But the reality is... The more you make it about you, and that's all he keeps hearing, by the way, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, here we go again, mom. Yeah, you got your, oh, you feel guilty. Oh, yeah, 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 mom, here we go, but you again. No, acknowledge, take responsibility, listen to where he's at, let him know there's a new sheriff in town. Dad doesn't get thrown under the bus. You're not here to fucking make a case for anything. You don't even need him to understand where you are at because, again, who's that about? What you're going to now do is get him. Where he's at, and let him know you got his back because that is the most critical thing of all. You can't control your children, but you can be there. All right, Stephen, what's our final question for the week? For our final question this week,
0: I've got a great voicemail question for you. This one's coming in from James. Hi, Gary. This is James from Dallas. Wanted to ask you about setting my intentions towards my own happiness a lot of times I feel that I'm in a situation with my wife that is leading me towards unhappiness and I frequently think that it's in my own personal interest to maybe exit the relationship or change things for myself however I do feel that my changing things would be detrimental to my child So the question I have is that if the direction that I see for myself personally comes at the expense of other people's happiness and well-being, how do I weigh those against one another?
1: So this is a common conundrum for parents, okay? We get ourselves into relationships. We get married or not, and then we have children, and then we realize we're not happy. You know, the real crux of the matter here is you're not happy. And this relationship is not going the way that you would want it to go. And that I get, but you first have to acknowledge that there clearly must have been a time when you were happy and this was going the way you wanted this to go. How do I know that? Because you got yourself into it. Now you might say, Well, I had my misgivings or I had thoughts of that. I don't fucking care. The overwhelming evidence was. You should do this. I'm going to assert that you've changed in this relationship. And part of how you've done it is by observing your partner. You're watching how they're changing. My relationship with my wife goes in a way that's consistent with what I'm bringing to the table. And that works for us because I'm not expecting her to be any way right? It's not my wife's job to make me happy. It's not my wife's job to bring love to me. Why? Because if I want love in my relationship, it's up to me to bring it. Sometime in the last, however many years it's been, you've taken a turn in this relationship. And it was a very subtle turn at one point. And now you're so far down the fucking line with it, you can't find any way back. But the first thing is, is to start to acknowledge and take responsibility for whatever turn you've taken. And I want you to look back and I want you to think, where did I take my turn? Was it something she did? Was it something I did? But this relationship turned. And you'll notice that right now, by the way, I'm focusing on the relationship. I'm not even talking to you about your kid yet. I think you have to realize that, and this is for everybody fucking listening to this right now. It's so critical. We get into these kind of deep, and profound connections with others, based on certain internal principles, like I'm in this for love, or I'm in this for connection or I'm in this for partnership, or I'm in this for adventure or passion or whatever, but you're in it for something. And then somewhere down the line, you just turn your fucking back on it all, like it's like too much like hard work. We end up in this conversation for, not what am I bringing, but what am I getting? And if you tell the truth, you're not bringing shit to this. Oh, no, I do all the work. I fucking bring it all. No, you bring your strategy for getting what you want. You bring your game to your relationship, and you're bringing it, and you're bringing it, and then you're looking at them going, all right, now give me something back. It's not give and take. Relationships are all about expression. It's what are you bringing? Bring, 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 bring. Why? Because you want it to be a certain way. It's like coming to the fucking picnic, but you're never bringing anything. You're just sitting there going, "Uh, did you guys get the chicken? What about salad? Did you guys bring salads? Oh, no salads? All right. Well, I'll bring salad dressing next time. Do you guys bring salads? No, if you want salads, bring fucking salad. I know that we've been trained as human beings to relate to relationships like that are well that we drink from. Not that it's a well that we were planning. So I you know in my relationship to my wife I know how it used to be and I know how it is now and how it is now is I really don't look to my wife to provide something for this relationship I really look at this as my garden and I'm tending it and it's something that we both get to enjoy now one of the great benefits of that is she tends the garden too which is brilliant but I'm not inspecting her work that's not my job she's not getting out of this what she wants She's going to have to look at what she's bringing. And by the way, this is part of this new relationship book that I'm working on right now. Because I'm out to transform the whole idea of what it is to be in a relationship. What is it like to be in a relationship from some of the perspective that I've just talked about? But I'm going to take the case, James, that this relationship has irretrievably broken down because you're deep in a conversation with yourself for ending it. And it seems to me the only real sticking point is your kid. The future of not being in this relationship is beginning to look more appealing to you. Okay, so let's say that's the case then, that it's going to be over. Then you should do the honorable thing and let the person know that it's going to be over. And there's an impact to that. You don't get to have your fucking cake and eat it. It'll have a negative impact on your kid. For sure. Right. Because you've just rattled their little universe. That's okay. Sometimes that just has to happen. Now you got to build another world, though. You got to build a world where you're completely responsible for that impact, putting in the pieces that you can to support her during this impact. And I'm telling you, a big part of this is, you know, it's amazing. Like, we want to get married with honor, you know, drop on your fucking knee and make your vows but man people divorce in the most dishonorable ways so if you're going to divorce do it with the kind of honor that you went in it with and get on a level playing field with your partner and ask how do we support her during this time it's like driving your car you know you drive your car you also expect that there might be occasions When things don't work out, you get a flat tire, you get in a bump, somebody scrapes your paintwork, you break down. If you get divorced, you should expect there'll be certain events that are more likely to happen than not happen. It doesn't mean she's broken as a human being or she's irretrievably damaged. It doesn't mean that at all. But if you treat her mom with respect and you honor how you came into this thing and you accept that your actions have an impact without going into some boring and ordinary self-blame bullshit, but you just accept, like, that's how this has gone. And I'm, and I, and I own it. And then you ask her, you, you be in communication with her, you know, like don't treat her like she doesn't have a brain. Like this is how this is going to go. And we want to support you. How might we best do that? You know, if you're going to divorce someone, it's important to realize Whatever your kid wants will be in your kid's best interest and always be acting in their best interest, which is sometimes not in yours as a divorced parent. But that's how that goes. That's the responsibility of being a fucking parent. It's a responsibility. You don't just get to do whatever the fuck you want. And by the way, if you are going to stay in this relationship for your children, that's another fucking dumb thing to do. You should stay in a relationship because you're committed to that relationship working and they bring your A game to that. Both feet in, which I suspect you haven't done in quite some time. So if you are getting up, be honest, be straightforward about that, be authentic about that, be responsible, handle the impact. And if you're staying in, get fucking both feet in. Don't do it in the name of something. It's amazing. I've seen... Some of the most fractured relationships turn out because two people decided that it was not ending. And when you get that kind of commitment, cool shit happens. Thank you for participating in another episode of Unfucked Nation. If you want your questions on the show, connect at Gary John Bishop, drop me an email or leave me a voicemail, 646-450-3203, 646-450-3203. As always, rate and review the show whatever you get your podcast, rate and review the show. Thanks for listening. Have a great one. See you on the flip.